Section four of Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Deborah Lynn. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B. P. Shillaber. Section four. A dangerous position. Don't lay in that posture, dear, said Mrs. Partington to Ike, who was stretched upon a settle with his heels a foot or two higher than his head. Don't lay so. "'Raise yourself up and put this pillow under you. "'I knew a young man once who had a suggestion of the brain "'in consequence of laying so. "'His brains all run down into his head.' "'And with this admonition she left him to practice soon after "'the hazardous experiment of tying his legs in a bow-knot round his neck "'as he had seen Professor Baldwin do. "'A lesson on sympathy. "'What a to-do they are making about this cosset,' "'said Mrs. Partington smilingly. The news had reached her ear of the triumphs of Kashut, and the name had assumed a form, and that form recalled a train of peculiar and characteristic associations, and she went on like an eight-day clock. A cosset is a pretty thing in a family where there's children, and they are dear critters for girls that hasn't got sweethearts to invent their young affectations on, but what's the use of making such a fuss about it? But this is Kashut, Aunt, the great Hungarian, said Ike tremendously, who was well posted up in passing matters, who has come over here to ask our sympathy and enlist us in behalf of his country. Well, said she, as the new light dawned upon her, they may have our sympathy and welcome, because it don't cost anything, but we mustn't list and give them money. That would be again our constitutions. And the prudent dame drummed thoughtfully on her snuff-box cover, with her eyes fixed upon the vein of the old south, while Ike amused himself by scratching K-O-S-U-T-H with a fork on the end of the new japanned waiter. How Ike dropped the cat. Now, Isaac, said Mrs. Partington, as she came into the room, with a basket snugly covered over, take our tabby and drop her somewhere, and see that she don't come back again, for I am sick and tired of driving her out of the butter. She is the thievinest creeter. But don't hurt her, Isaac, only take care that she don't come back. Ike smiled as he received his charge, and the old lady felt happy in getting rid of her trouble without resorting to violence. She would rather have endured the evil of the cat, great as that evil was, than that the poor quadruped should be inhumanely dealt with. She saw Ike depart in the dusk of the evening, and watched him until he became lost to view in the shadow of a tree. It was a full half-hour before he returned with his empty basket, and an unusual glee marked his appearance. It sparkled in his eye, it glowed in his cheek, it sported in his hair, and Ike looked really handsome as he stood before the dame and proclaimed the success of his mission. "'Did she drop easy, Isaac?' asked the old lady, looking upon him kindly. "'And won't she come back?' "'She dropped just as easy,' said Ike, letting his basket fall on the floor and shying his cap upon the table, somewhat endangering a glass lamp with a wooden bottom that stood thereon. She dropped just as easy, and she won't come back. You may bet high on that. But you didn't beat and mangle her, Isaac, did you? If you did, I should be afraid she would come back and haunt us. I have heard of such things. And she looked anxiously in his face. But detecting there no trace of guilt, she patted him on the head and parted his hair and told him to sit down and eat his supper, which the young gentleman did with considerable unction. Isaac! Isaac! screamed Mrs. Partington, at the foot of the little stairway that led to the attic where the boy slept the next morning after the above occurrence. "'Isaac!' 
and he came downstairs slowly, rubbing his eyes as he came. She had disturbed his morning nap. "'Isaac,' said she, "'what is that hanging yonder to a limb of our apple-tree?' One scattering tree, as she said, constituted her whole orchard, unless she counted the poplar by the corner. "'I can't see so far off,' said Ike, still rubbing his eyes. "'Well, I should think it was a cat, and it looks to me like our tabby. Oh, Isaac, if you have done this!' And a tone akin to horror trembled in her voice. "'I'll go and see if it's her,' said Ike, as if not hearing the last part of her remark, and he dashed out of the door, but soon came back, with wonder depicted on every feature of his expressive countenance. "'Oh, it's her! Sure enough, it's her!' cried he. "'But I did drop her. Well, how could she come there, then?' And the good old lady looked puzzled. "'I'll tell you how I guess it was,' said Ike, looking demurely up. "'I guess that she committed suicide, because we was going to drop her. "'They are dreadful knowing critters, you know.' "'True enough,' replied the old lady, while something like a tear glistened in her eye. "'Her pity was excited. "'True enough, Isaac, and I dare say she thought hard of us for doing it, "'but she hadn't ought to, as she'd have considered a minute.' "'Ike said no more, but went out and cut down the supposed suicide with a serious manner, "'and buried her beneath her gallows.' deep down among the roots of the old tree, and she never came back. The old lady told the story to the minister, and Ike vouched for it, but the good man shook his head incredulously at the idea of the suicide, and looked at the boy. He very evidently understood how the cat was dropped. STOPPING A BUS Mrs. Partington had watched three-quarters of an hour for an omnibus, and she swung her umbrella as one drove up, and the driver stopped his horses near where she stood. "'Now, Isaac,' says she, feeling in her reticule for a copper, away down under the handkerchief and snuff-box and knitting-work and thread-case and needle-book, "'be a good boy, dear, while I am gone, and don't cause a constellation among the neighbours, as some boys do, and there's a cent for you. And be sure you don't lay it out extravagantly now, and be careful you don't break the windows, and if anybody rings at the door, be sure and see who it is before you open it, because there is so many dishonest rogues about.' If any porpoises come a-begging, give em what was left of the dinner. Heaven bless em, and much good may it do em, and, why, bless me, if the omnibus hasn't gone off and left me standing here in the middle of the street. Such impudence is without a parable. Her spectacles gleamed indignantly down the street after the disappearing bus, and for a moment anger had the mastery. But equanimity, like twilight, came over her mind, and she waited for the next bus with calmness on her face and her green cotton umbrella under her arm. After a wedding. I like to tend weddings, said Mrs. Partington, as she came back from a neighboring church where one had been celebrated, and hung up her shawl and replaced the black bonnet in the long preserved bandbox. I like to see young people come together with a promise to love, cherish, and nourish each other. "'But it is a solemn thing, is matrimony, a very solemn thing. "'Where the pasture comes into the chancery with a surplus on "'and goes through with the ceremony of making a man and wife, "'it ought to be husband and wife, for it ain't every husband that turns out a man. "'I declare I shall never forget how I felt when I had the nuptial ring "'put on to my finger when Paul said, "'With my goods I thee endow.' He used to keep a dry-goods store then, and I thought he was going to give me all there was in it. I was young and simple, and didn't know till afterwards that it only meant one calico gown in a year. 
It is a lovely sight to see the young people plighting their trough and coming up to consume their vows. She bustled about and got tea ready, but abstractedly she put on the broken teapot that had lain away unused since Paul was alive, and the teacups mended with putty and dark with age, as if the idea had conjured the ghost of past enjoyment to dwell for the moment in the home of present widowhood. A young lady who expected to be married on Thanksgiving night wept copiously at her remarks, but kept on hemming the veil that was to adorn her brideship, and Ike sat pulling bristles out of the hearth-brush in expressive silence. Mrs. Partington in the Market "'I wonder what they mean by a better feeling in the market,' said Mrs. Partington, looking up from the newspaper which she was reading, and the problem deeply agitated her mind, revealed in the vibration of her cat-border. Her address was directed to nobody in particular.' It was a little private wonder got up for her own amusement. The market and the deaths and marriages were Mrs. P.'s favorite study in the weekly chronicle. But some of the mercantile phrases were at times imperfectly understood. I wonder what they mean. I'm sure I don't feel any better there, and I don't believe anybody does but the butchers, and that's when they are pocketing the money. Things is so dear. But, continued she, brightening up, I should like to see the trade embracing ten hogsheads of tobacco that I see here printed about. That must have been a real touching sight. She thought of Paul, and the association brought out the cotton handkerchief with the Constitution and Guerriere upon it, and she discontinued. Partington Philosophy Before the railroad company bought and tore down the Partington mansion and uprooted and overturned the old family shrines without regard to their sacredness, the vandals, turning the good old heart that worshipped there out upon the world to seek new ties amid new scenes, it was Mrs. Partington's delight to gather friends about her at Thanksgiving time, and the time-honored season passed very happily. Amid the festivities her benignity would beam with such a radiance that the red seed-peppers upon the wall looked ruddier in its genial glow, and the bright tin-pans upon the shelf seemed brimful of sunshine and smiled out upon all who looked at them. There were fine times at the Partington Mansion at Thanksgiving, you may depend. She didn't keep Christmas, she was puritanical in her religious notions, and tended the old North meeting-house for a third of a century, and took pride in saying that she had never been to church, a nice distinction which we leave the old folks to make. Christmas was a church holiday, unsanctioned by a governor's proclamation, and she would none of it. She scented in it the garment of the disreputable Babylonish female mentioned in the Apocalypse, and avoided it. But it is Thanksgiving that we are speaking about now. Well, well, what has all this to do with patience? Have patience, darling, and we'll tell you an instance of patient resignation under disappointment not surpassed since Newton's dog Diamond committed an incendiary act, and his master gravely informed the quadruped, that he was not probably aware of the extent of the damage he had committed, which was doubtless the fact. It was the custom with Mrs. P. to shut up a turkey previous to Thanksgiving, in order that he might be nice and fat for the generous season. One year the gobbler had thus been penned, like a sonnet, with reference to Thanksgiving, and anticipations were indulged of the good time coming. But, alas, the brightest hopes must fade. The turkey, when looked for, was not to be found. It had been stolen away. Upon discovering her great loss, Mrs. P. was, for a moment, overcome with surprise, disconcerted. 
but the sun of her benevolence soon broke the clouds away and spread over her features like new butter upon hot biscuit and with a smile warm with the feeling of her heart she said i hope they will find it tender i guess we can be thankful on pork and cabbage say ye severest what would ye have done under such circumstances you would perhaps have raved and stamped and swore and made yourself generally ridiculous besides perilling your soul in the excess of your anger but mrs p didn't and there is where you and she differ she stood calmly and tranquilly a living lesson of philosophical patience under extreme difficulty we cite this example that the world may profit by it filial duty versus washing powder children of the present day sighed the reverend adoniram spade as he was visiting mrs partington during the spring anniversaries children of the present day ma'am sadly ruffle the bosoms of their parents he crossed his legs as he spoke and tied his handkerchief in a hard knot over his knee at the same time looking at ike through the back window as that young gentleman was performing a slack rope exercise upon the clothesline endangering the caps and handkerchiefs that swung like banners in the breeze mrs partington suspended washing and looked round at her visitor at the same time wiping her hands to take a pinch of snuff yes sir she said i think so but it isn't so bad either as it used to be before the soap powder was found out mr spade quietly protested that he could not see the relevancy of the remark why continued she inhaling the rapé and handing the box to the minister then it was a great labor to wash and do em up but now the washing powder makes it so easy that the children can rumple bosoms or anything else with perfect impurity we don't make nothing of it i consider washing powder holding up a pair of ike's galligaskins that had just gone through a course of purification as a great blessing to mothers the minister smiled and thought what a curious proposition it would be in the society for the mitigation of everything to recommend washing powder as an auxiliary to other operative blessings and thanked mrs partington for the hint a serious question old roger came downstairs one sunday morning with a face unusually animated and stood with his hands behind his back playing nervously with the tails of his coat the breakfast was waiting for him the fish balls were getting cold the coffee was evaporating but he didn't seem to care he leaned over the back of the landlady's chair and asked her in a whisper if she could tell him why a dyspeptic was out of immediate danger when his disease was most distressing she looked earnestly at the top of the teapot a few moments and then said that for the life of her she couldn't tell a curiosity was evinced by the boarders and they asked what it was they all gave it up too why said he looking very red it is because he can't digest then drawing his chin within his stock the old fellow laughed lustily and in his paroxysm threw his arms around the landlady's neck for support but she threw them off very indignantly for the boarders were all looking at her he then sat down to breakfast with a good appetite rather a rascal mrs partington your neighbor mr gruff is rather irascible i think said the new minister on his first visit to the old lady as he heard Gruff scolding Ike for throwing snowballs at his new Martin house. Gruff kept a grocery over the way, and was in a constant quarrel with every boy in the neighborhood. Mrs. Partington looked at the minister through her spectacles inquiringly before she answered. "'Rather a rascal,' said she, 
slightly misapprehending his question, and patting her box affectionately. "'Yes, indeed, I think he is a great rascal. "'He sold me burnt peas for the best coffee once, "'and it wasn't weight, nother. "'When they built our new church, somebody said there was a knave in it, "'and I knowed in a minute who they meant. "'Why, I mean,' interrupted the minister, "'blandly laying his white hand gently on his arm, "'I mean that he is quick-tempered.' "'Oh, that's another thing. Yes, he is very.' "'And she changed the subject. "'But that word irascible ran in her head for an hour after he was gone, "'and when Ike came in she told him to take down the old Johnson's decency "'and find the defamation of it. "'The sensitive man sees a bloomer. "'The sensitive man came in one day just after dinner, "'threw himself into a chair, and fainted.' After a mug or two of coquituate water had been dashed in his interesting face, he came to a little, gazed wildly upon the circle that surrounded him, and said, in a sort of unearthly whisper, "'Where is she?' Nobody knew what he meant. The fog a moment later rolled from his soul, and he was enabled to explain, with the aid of some slight stimulant. A crowd in the street had obstructed his path as he walked pensively along with his eyes cast down. Looking up, a vision of beauty burst upon his ravished sight, and he stood entranced as he gazed upon it. And when it passed away with the crowd, he climbed upon an omnibus and watched that object through his tunneled hand until it became indistinct and lost in the distance. That object was a bloomer. He had long ardently wished for this opportunity. In visions of the night had angels in short dresses and trousers thrust themselves among his sleeping fancies to the bewilderment of his waking thoughts. It had become the great idea of his mind, and all his other thoughts bowed to this, as did the sheaves of the Israelitish brethren to the sheaf of Joseph of old. He had at last seen a bloomer. The climax of his earthly desire was attained. The driver of the bus, callous to the emotion of his bosom, asked him what in thunder he was a-looking at up there. The sensitive man made but one step to the ground, so buoyant was he, and he bounded like cork. He could have leaped over the state-house. Little boys and sedate passengers stepped back dismayed, and a gentleman in a black coat and white neckcloth looked around anxiously after a policeman. What were policemen to the sensitive man? Those terrific functionaries were nothing. Even the cold reality of a watch-house floor would be as soft as down could he carry with him the consciousness that he had seen a bloomer. He looked to see if her passing figure had not left its impression in aerial portraiture upon the impalpable atmosphere. He looked upon the pave to detect the print of her charming foot upon the insensate bricks, but she had fled, like some bright exhalation of the morning, and he turned back sorrowing. A coach came nigh running over him. The tension of his spirit relaxed, enduring only to bring him within the precinct of his vocation, when his too sensitive nature gave out, and the result was as explained above. And hourly since has he longingly gazed from the window in ardent hope of seeing again the beauteous vision which had enthralled him, and disappointment, like a worm in the mud, feeds on his damaged cheek. POWER OF ATTORNEY When the widow Ames had been notified that her share of the Paul Jones prize-money would be paid her upon presenting herself at the Dummer Bank, she debated in her own mind, though the debate never was reported, whether she should go herself or give a power of attorney to someone else to receive the eleven dollars and sixty-two cents that was her share. 
In this strait she called on Mrs. Partington, who she knew had authorized a person to settle the Beanville estate for her when the Beanville Railroad had driven her from the homestead. "'Go yourself, dear,' said the old lady, bringing the poker down emphatically upon the bale of the tea-kettle as she was clearing out the ashes from the stove. "'Don't trust to nobody but yourself, for,' raising the poker, "'if you give anybody power of eternity, depend upon it you won't never see the final conclusion of it.' The poker fell again upon the harmless tea-kettle, which seemed to sing out with reproach for the outrage, and Ike, who was looking slyly into the back window, wondered if Mrs. Ames wasn't sitting on a favorite piece of spruce gum of his, and whether it wouldn't stick her to the chair so that she couldn't get up. It showed that the boy had a reflective turn of mind. THE NEW DRESS FOR LADIES "'A new custom for ladies,' said Mrs. Partington, when a friend spoke to her about the proposed innovation in dress. The sound of costume came to her ear indistinctly, and she slightly misapprehended the word. "'A new custom for ladies. I should think they had better reform many of their old customs before they try to get new ones. We're none of us better than we ought to be, and—' "'Costume, ma'am,' I said, cried her informant, interrupting her. "'They are thinking of changing their dress.' "'Well, for my part, I don't see what they want to make a public thing of it for. "'Changing the dress used to be a private matter, but folks do so alter. "'They are always a-changing dresses now, like the caterpillar in the morning that turns into a butterfly at night, "'or the butterfly at night that turns to a caterpillar in the morning, I don't know which. "'But,' again interrupted her informant, "'I mean they are going to have a new dress.' "'Oh, they are, are they?' replied the old lady. "'Well, I'm sure I'm glad in it if they can afford it. "'But they don't always think enough of this. "'A good many can't afford it. They can't. "'But did you hear of the new apparel for women that somebody is talking about?' "'Why, my dear Mrs. P,' said he, smiling, "'that is just what I was trying to get your opinion about.' "'Then,' returned she, "'why didn't you say so in the first place? "'Well, I don't know why a woman can't be as virtuous in a short dress as in a long one.' and it will save some trouble in wet weather to people who have to lift their dresses and show their ankles. It may do for young critters, as sportive as lambs in a pasture, but only think how I should look in short coats and trousers, shouldn't I? And old Mrs. Jones, who weighs three hundred pounds, wouldn't look well in em neither. But I say let em do just what they please, as long as they don't touch my dress. I like the old way best, and that's the long and the short of it. She here cast a glance at the profile on the wall, as if for its approval of her resolution, and an idea for a moment seemed to cross her mind that he, the ancient corporal, would not know her were he to visit sublunar scenes and find her arrayed in the new dress, and her compressed lips showed the determination of her heart to abide by the old costume, and she solemnly and slowly took an energetic pinch of snuff as if to confirm it. PSYCHOLOGY Sensitive people talk about feeling, in the presence or atmosphere of a man, the peculiar disposition that governs him, whether a gentle or a stern one, whether a hypocritical or a knavish one. We have realized in some degree what the feeling must be, as we have at times elbowed our way among the gentlemen who throng about State or Wall Street. The atmosphere was so hard that we shrank at once into our empty pocket, a thing which finds no sympathy in those diggings, and escaped as fast as possible. We could read every disposition that we rubbed against like a book, or as well as the most subtle magician could do it. The dollar was the idea that every brain was working and struggling to coin itself into. The dollar gleamed in every eager glance of the eye, 
and was heard in every word the dollar was the sun that shone in the air that blew and those celestial choirs had been at hand chanting the music of the spheres unless it had the right chink to it it would not have been regarded let sensitive ones who have no money go down upon change and try the experiment it will not make them any poorer though most certainly they will not be any richer by it matter of fact shakespeare's well enough said mr slow but he don't come up to my idea of poetry there is too much of your highfalutin humbug about him what he says don't seem to mount to nothing as for falstaff he's a miserable and disreputable old fellow and hamlick's as mad as a bed-bug why didn't he knock his old father-in-law over and done with it and not make such a hillabaloo about it shakespeare isn't what he is cracked up to be and if he doesn't improve i wouldn't give two per cent for his chance of immortality who believes this ear for instance orpheus lute was strung with poet's sinews whose golden touch could soften steel and stones make tigers tame and huge leviathans forsake unsounded deeps to dance on sand it's all gammon poet's sinews indeed dare say twasn't nothing but catgut and as for its softening steel and stones and taming tigers and making levithians dance on the sand that air's all bosh and too ridiculous for any man to believe mr slow looked fearfully oracular as he said this and the subject was suspended the cat and kittens before ike dropped the cat it was a matter of much annoyance to mrs partington upon coming downstairs one morning to find a litter of kittens in her indian work-basket beside her black sunday bonnet and upon the black gloves and handkerchief long consecrate to grief ike had left the basket uncovered during a search for some thread to make a snare to catch a pigeon with her temper was stirred by the circumstance as what good tidy housekeepers would not have been by such an occurrence i'll drown em said she every one of em oh you wicked creeter continued she raising her finger and shaking it at the cat oh you wicked creeter to serve me such a trick but the cat happy in the joys of maternity purred gladly among her offspring and looked upon the old lady through her half-closed eyes as if she didn't really see any cause for such a fuss isaac said the dame take the big tub and drown them kittens there was determination in her eyes and authority in her tone and ike clapped his hands as he hastened to obey her stop isaac a minute she cried and i'll take the chill off the water it would be cruel to put him into it stone cold she took the steaming kettle from the stove and emptied it into the tub and then left the rest to ike but she reproached herself for her inhumanity long afterwards and could not bear to look the childless cat in the face and many a dainty bit did that injured animal receive from her mistress mrs partington perhaps did wrong as who hasn't at some period of life perfection belongeth not to man or woman and we would throw this good pen of ours into the street and never take another in our fingers could we pretend that mrs partington was an exception to this universal rule end of section four